first, our Patreon is live. Hooray! Some of you have been so generous as to offer to support us, and it really does help. Goddessy is free and will remain free, indefinitely, forever, in whatever form it may take. But any support helps. Even reviews, especially reviews. That's a hint. But if you're feeling extra generous or want early access to Lou and his shenanigans, check us out on Patreon at The Goddessy Podcast, which incidentally is our social media name, Branding. Also a note on today's episode, we're doing something a little different because today we're actually leaving Ireland. I know, I promised a podcast about Ireland, but where we're going, while it's not in Ireland, it's distinctly Irish. We have little concrete about the ideas of the Irish afterlife and the role of fairies connected to it. What we do know is that fairies and the spirits of the dead live in the hills and mounds of Ireland, yet also reside across the sea. Once a year, whether at Lunessa on August 1st, or Samhain, October 31st, what we call Halloween, these forces wander the earth and humans can interact with them, which is exceptionally dangerous. Well, instead of waiting until Halloween, we're going to their home turf. What is the relationship between the fairies and the ancestral dead of Ireland? It's unclear. So, I'm experimenting. I prefer to leave things understated, so intros like this help me explore that. I'm talking way too much. So, previously on Goddessy. Bound and chained, Lou was there to witness the meeting of kings between Yakid of the Firbol and Nuwada of the Tuatha Dé Danann. Told to run by his foster mother, Queen Talchu of the Firbol, he did so but was quickly hunted down by the sons of Yakid, who planned on killing him. At the last minute, the fairy woman, Birog, took Lou upon her back and fled across the sky and soon across the sea, leaving a terrified Lou to grip to her horse-like body for dear life. Welcome to Goddessy, Episode 4, The Land of Youth. Nervous energy ran wild through him. Lou checked behind him every so often to see if the cliffs were still there. How long had it been since he'd truly seen land? There was no changing of day to night, though no movement of the sun. Only the strange mists that hung over the water below, expanding, growing into what seemed like clouds. Yet there was nothing ahead of them, nor to the south or north of them. The gray sky, occasionally hinting at yellow, offered no end to the monotony of water in whatever form it took. He held tightly to Birog, fearful she might disappear. She seemed as malformed as the clouds below, forming then reforming beneath his grip, beneath his eyes. She still carried him onward, her wispy hair wafting vapors into his eyes. He had long ago forgotten what it was to be dry. There were moments in the mists where he thought he saw ships, long wooden things with large sails, heading to the west. On each was a full crew of oarsmen propelling it forward, and a mass of men and women at the back huddling together. When he tried to focus, the mists seemed to form around them, masking them from view. The symbols on the sails meant nothing to him. He knew them not. The ships all looked different, as if from different eras, different countries, but all coming from Ireland. At times he would close his eyes. He would think of home, the warm fires of the court of the Fearbold. Now no longer home, he realized. He would never again sit at Talchu's feet, letting her play with his hair putting it into braids. He would never again play silly games with the court hounds, whom he loved best. 
nor would the smithy of his uncle Gavita keep him warm as he labored on some new smelting, hissing water, bouncing, and leaving little pockmarks on his uncovered arms. No matter what he returned to, it would be something new, and he doubted his fostering would continue any further. Where had his father been in all of this? Why had he not seen him? Lou pondered these things, when fear and sorrow did not conquer his thoughts. When hours seemed impossibly long, at last he spied something before them. A great cloud rose from the sea, high above, masking something large, something almost intentional in make. Just beyond the mist were shimmering spires of silver, the shapes of which Lou could scarcely imagine. Great domes at the top of spires, and winding staircases beside, along their outside. Great tall things in the shapes of circles, rectangles, and triangles, cylinders and cones all. At the center was a great palace, elaborately designed, like the largest fortress Lou could imagine, then made larger. The mist did little to stop the illumination. The sun seemed to cut through the mist and pull it back, yet the light did not burn him, did not make him wince. It was the most beautiful thing he had ever seen. How could he look away? Beneath the towers were harbors, great circular things with many ships he had seen in the mist making port there. It was at the sight of these that he felt himself descending. Birog? Birog, we're going down. Yes. Prepare yourself to land. What? Aren't we both landing? Prepare yourself. He felt his stomach give way, a sudden dropping beneath him, and they fell long before the water's edge, a scream filling the void he felt in his heart. He did not land in the harbor, though behind him there was a great splash. Lou rolled onto wet, warm grass, as green as any he had ever seen back on the island's rolling hills. The air hung, moist yet pleasantly so, and as he rolled, he felt his senses returning to him. He came to a halt, further along the grassy land bridge to the sea, and he rose, realizing suddenly he wore no boots nor cloak, nothing but the tunic and pants he had left with, which seemed to fit him not. When had this happened? His senses returned to him as he sat up, looking around. The mist still hung high on the turrets of those silver spires, yet he had a better sense of the place. A great green island, full of gardens and flowing buildings, an architectural style he had never seen, one made of stones he could not name nor find word for, that seemed to shine and seemed to glow the closer he came. There was music, too rising up from somewhere, many songs coming from many voices and many instruments mixing and matching parts with a rhythm that was joyful and true. From seeming every corner of the wet grassy dock there were souls, tall and short, child and elder, of every color and shape he could imagine. Their features seemed exaggerated, almost malleable at times, yet they were people, certainly, becoming more clear the more he looked at them, as if his mind made decisions about how they should look. They did not regard him, but seemed to know that he was there. Lou spoke to no one in particular. Where am I? Behind him there came a splashing from the water and a figure rose. She was tall, willowy, and fully formed, her gown wet, yet seeming to dry as soon as he noticed. She wrung her hair out into the water, long and evanescent, seeming to change from red to yellow, then back again as the light struck her. The familiarity struck him slowly, before he realized this was Bidog, given form and flesh. The fairy woman was real indeed. 
Hello, he said, trying to form thoughts. Hello yourself. You squeeze hard, lad. Oh, he said, looking away. I did not realize. I am sorry. Worry yourself not. Most children scream. Most adults, too. You were brave. She walked to him, barefooted, and threw her hair back. Lou, realizing the length, seemed to change with but a flick of her hair. Come, lad. I am to present you to your father. My what? You were born with three foster parents, and a third you'll be needing to meet. Time is short. You are here on borrowed time. She led him through a corridor of shrubs, the harbor disappearing behind them, the sun at last seeming to move across the sky. They traveled upstairs that did not spiral, yet as he kept track of where they were in the silver spires above, they must be moving in wider arcs than simply up and up and up. There was a strange geometry to this place, an understanding he could not comprehend, and yet, there was a sense in that, that this place where rules were different, a fairy place. This was the home of Birog and all fair folk, and all the stories that came to bear with that. Try though he might, Lou could not get a good look at the many souls he sensed were here. At the edge of buildings and doorways and in windows, he knew there were people, yet the fog seemed to hold over the island, ever-present, masking them from him. Birog seemed to notice this, though she never looked packed to him. You seeing them defines them. Do not worry, lad. They will reveal themselves when commanded to. Where are we, Birog? Who is my foster father this time? That is for him to explain, for he is the lord of this place. Yet another lord. How well connected was his father, truly. At last, after many spiraling staircases that only went straight, and new platforms that led to walkways of green, did they come to the Silver Central Palace, a great central hub of shining light, guarded by suits of armor that stood watch, faceless yet vigilant, holding spears of streaming silver. Their heads moved to him, watching, glancing without eyes into his soul. Lou shriveled at their gaze and followed closer to Beardog, who led him up silver-white steps of marble. Within were more guards and lords and ladies who moved quickly, some in shoes, many in flowing gowns that were the length of the hallways. Some had faces he couldn't focus on, a few had no faces at all. Some were wet, some were dry. Also different, yet one thing was consistent among all of them, their youth. Not a single soul had an ounce of age upon them, not children exactly, they seemed instead eternal, graceful, virile, masters of fate. The pillars of silver stone led him deeper into the palace, where a large chamber was graced on one side by a troop of musicians, dressed in fine garbs, using voice and string and horn and drum to create a dancing tune so complex, Lou felt his heart dancing where his feet could not keep up. At the end of the hallway were two souls, a woman of eternal beauty, a twerk about her neck and a cloak of gray goose feathers at her shoulders, and a man, thin and bearded, the only man here with any sense of age to him. No, not age, Lou realized. While many souls here were noble, only this man was regal. He had the smell of the sea upon him, the first time Lou smelled anything that was not a pleasant smell of food and flowers. There was salt here, and about his gray shoulders of martin fur, 
a mist that shrouded him. Upon seeing Birog, he stood, holding up his hand. The three dogs at his side, all silver, looked up, their tongues lapping. Silence rose with him, and the court beheld Birog, and then moved to her ward. Lou felt red, for all eyes were upon him. You've brought him, then? The voice was like a crashing wave, holding both excitement and boldness. A mist of expectation followed in its wake. I have, my lord. I present to the court Lou, son of Kian, the Tuatha de Danan. But the room was not stirred to silence, attention did shift. Lou felt the hair on the back of his neck raise up, as the massive man in the grey cloak rose, his eyes distant like the horizon past the edge of the sea. His moustache fell into two braids, which were held in place by a silver and blue bead on each side. At first he said nothing. Lou felt that hair on the back of his neck turn to a shiver down his spine, as if submerged in wintry water. Then suddenly, the king grinned. Lou, my boy, the time has come at last! He stepped down, still a giant to Lou, and then turned to the woman who sat. Fond, my queen, do you have command of the city of youth? She smiled distantly. I do, my husband. Then I shall begin the boy's lessons. Time is of the essence. Now, Lou, come! Bidog, rest at ease. Lou did not follow immediately until the man, in only a few strides, had reached the door of the palace. Coming, boy? He's not simple, is he, Bidog? Lou hurried after, aware of the laughter of the court. Who? Who am I? A fair question, and a smart one to start. I am Mananan MacLear, lord of the land of youth called Tirnanog by most. It's where you are, boy. The isle west of Ireland, the last land before the seas run out into nothing but time's misty bleak eternity. All waters lead here, boy, and that is what has brought you to me, what brings all those who foster at my feet. MacLear, you're the son of the sea? The man's laugh was a blast of salt water in his face. Indeed! My father Lear has his own tale, and one we will not have time for, but rest assured, Lou, son of Cian, it is I who is lord of the sea now. Now. Ask your next question. Why am I here? A good question, almost as good as what can I eat, or how will I die? The answer? By chance, I was harmed in a storm off the coast of the Isle of Man, near Ireland's northern face. Your father dove into the sea to save me, and I owed him a debt. Years later, when you were born, your father made a pact with me, that I be the third foster parent to you to hide you from the gaze of the blackguard valor of the evil eye, and in so doing, I will teach you many things. I shall teach you to build, to cook, to sing and dance and woo the object of your desires. I shall teach you to fight, to destroy, and how to plot against your enemies. I will teach you games and the laws of right and wrong. I shall teach you the subtle art of wordplay and the brutal art of breaking someone with both word and weapon. I shall teach you forgiveness and what mercy means. These are what I am to teach you, but you will decide what you learn. He felt awash with emotion. This was too much, yet he was ready to begin. He did not feel tired. He had not felt tired since his arrival, though he had flown far. The sun was still high, though it began its descent. But first, a business to attend to, for I have guests arriving in my land, foretold by fate. You will want to be here for this. Mananan led Lou down the steps, zigging and zagging through the city. Though he had many questions, it took all of his wits to keep up with the giant, who seemed ever ahead of him, just out of reach. They came back again to the green shores of the city. 
where there was a contingent preparing to receive three ships that were just out of reach of the fog that surrounded the Silver Spires. At the head of one of the ships was a blonde man in robes that Lou found himself recognizing, three boys behind him. Mananen came to the edge of the shore and waved the men down, Lou behind him. Hail from the master of Tirnanog! What brings you to our shores? The man at the front boat, his cloak drawn around him, rose a hand out to greet him, covered in faded blood. His brow bore sorrow upon it, yet he seemed younger than Lou remembered, the names coming to him slowly. My sons and I seek shelter in your mighty city, for we died valiantly and we wish to rest all our days in the city of youth. Mananen replied, Ah, yes, but how did you live? By what right do you claim a spot at the halls of one of our mighty lords? The man hesitated, drawing his arm back. His sons looked to one another, yet said nothing. I united my people, ended their bloodshed, only to be betrayed by those we welcomed into our land. I fought to protect my people and reached an agreement that was breached by both sides. I bring with me the last lords of the Fearbolg, for our people are now one with the Tuatha Dí Danann. The fogs parted, and Lou confirmed what he already knew. He spoke thus. Where's Taltu? Where is my foster mother? Lou could not contain himself, stepping out past Mananan and letting his feet be soaked. The sons of the man on the boat stepped back and hid their faces beneath their own clothes. The man at the front of the ship looked back to them, glaring. Lou? Lou, boy, is that you? He did not answer, instead asking again, Where is Talchu? She parlayed for the rest of our people, and now serves the sovereign goddesses, Lou. Your death is why we died, lad. It was an unjust thing. My boys have paid for it in their own blood, and my blood. Manenin looked down to Lou, then placed a hand on his shoulder. A terrible thing, then, for Lou is not dead, Yakid of the Fearvolg. He is my foster son. As he was your queen's and the smith Gavita, the prophecy must be fulfilled, Yakid, last king of the Fearbolg. Whatever your crimes, real or perceived, know that you did right by your people, and for that you are welcome on this island, but not here. My dock accepts no visitors, for I am training this boy to meet his destiny. Go round the isle, where one of my lords will accept you. The king of Tirnanag greets you, and will feast with you soon. Hail, Yakid! The boat's passengers let out a yell, returning his hail, and soon turned the boat, heading past to the, on the left. Before they parted from sight, the fog taking them, Yakid spoke to Lou one last time. I am sorry, boy. We never meant to be cruel. We did the best with what we were given. You in time will understand. Lou watched him fade from sight, his face flush. He had no love for Yakid nor his sons, and no wish to learn their lesson. Come, boy, no good in grimacing at shadows. Mananen pulled his arm, and they returned to the city. The day seemed to last forever, and so did the lessons. Lou learned how to tie knots, every kind of knot, dozens and dozens of times until he mastered each, could do them without looking, with rope, of grass, and cloth, and chain. He learned to sew, to make clothes, and to mend. With that, he learned to make tapestries and many forms of arts. Each of these lessons the King of Tirnanog joined, but it was the members of Mananan's court, the greatest crafters who had ever lived, who taught him the rest. When dinner time came, Lou was sent to the kitchen, where he was taught to make bread, the kind of spices and herbs of his homeland and how to use them. 
He learned how to roast meat to maintain a kitchen fire, and how to cut meat properly. From there he was taught to serve, a trait he thought beneath him, yet one Mananan insisted he learn. The five lords of Tirnanog were there, and with them Yakut and his sons, whom Lu served in glowering silence. Mananan at the head table gave each and every one of them hospitality, and when the feast was over, brought Lu beside his fire, where his hound slept soundly. Harps played behind them, a haunting tune that told of heroes that had been or would be. Lu was uncertain of time here, his head spinning. They mistreated you, those sons of Yakid? Lu nodded. They tried to kill me before Birog saved me. Against their father's will, no doubt. They are not cut of the same cloth as their father, but no matter. Hospitality cares not who steps through the door, only that there are enough chairs to seat them. When they breach that hospitality in your doors, you have the right to vengeance, not before. Do you understand? It is not enough to seek vengeance. It must be sought in the right terms. Honor dictates these rules. Do you understand, lad? He did not nod, only staring into the fire. And you must learn forgiveness, too. Tell me, your foster mother told you. Has she ever done anything against you? Harmed you? Spanked you? Beaten you with a spoon? Lou turned to Mananan, regarding him with a cool, distant gaze. He nodded. And you hold this against her? No, I deserved many of them. So you did, but all of them? He thought. No, I was beaten once for something her sons did. And yet you forgive her. It was not her fault. She did not know their deception. Mananan nodded. You remember all this, and while you forgive her, you do not forgive them. Is this just? Lou shrugged. I do not see why I should forgive them for what they've done. Any more than I should forgive Baller for locking my mother in a tower and throwing my brothers into the sea. No, you are right. But why should you not forgive Baller, or the sons of Yakut for that matter? Lou thought for a moment. Because they were cruel, evil even? Was that enough? Many men and women had been cruel to him. But did that mean they should die? He thought of his foster mother, forgiven by his people. What would she say? What wisdom had she given him? If they lack honor and will betray their word, they cannot be trusted with forgiveness. And forgiveness does not mean forgetting what a soul has done to you. If a dog bites you twice, you cannot be expected to give it food a third time. Mananin nodded. Do what honor commands. If honor allows forgiveness, do it within reason. Mercy is often its own reward, but do not be afraid to be bold. Many times have I had to make hard decisions, and one day, Lou, so shall you. Now listen, for now you will learn music. And so he did. He learned the lyre and the harp, the dancing bodhan drum, and the many horns of battle and pomp. He learned the types of dances, and by the time he was done, exhausted and full to the brim, he noticed the sun had gone down only to be replaced with a silver moon whose brightness he had never seen before. Before he could rest, he was taken once more by Mananan out into the garden of his palace in view of the many people there. It was here that Mananan and his finest warriors taught Lu to fight more fiercely and strategically than the Fearbull had even tried. He favored smart battles, keeping his distance with a spear, while also wearing his opponents out. Still, he was taught the power of hand-to-hand -hand combat and the strength of a shillelagh, and the best way to attack with a sword. He was taught the bow to throw a javelin and to hit a distant target accurately with stone and sling. At this, he became particularly adept. As the silver moon began to fall, Lu had not yet slept, 
and it was then that he was taught horseback riding. The horses here were tall, powerful, and made of muscle and attitude, and Lou failed many hundreds of times, to the laughter of the court. When he at last sat upon the back of Mananan's steed, a white horse with flowing near-red mane named Inbar, whose eyes shone like stones beneath a brook, though he bucked, Lou came to conquer his will in time. Not yet ready to let Lou rest, Mananan taught him many more lessons on his second day. He learned how to throw stones, to play fichel, a noble game of strategy. That night, he was taught wordplay and innuendo, coming to master it in time. With it came poetry and song, learning to master his own voice. By the third day, Lou still had not slept, and learned the finer points of medicine, how the body worked, and of magic, the limits of the mind and body to interact with the universe around them. This last point he already knew a great deal about, and impressed his tutors and Mananen. At the night of the third day, he snapped. Three days you have had me working here. Three days learning, learning, always learning. When do I rest? When you're dead, boy, Mananen said, laughing. Tirnanog is where the noble dead come to rest. Noble though you are, you are not yet dead. Yet, are you even tired? Or is this merely the decorum of life that you think commands you to sleep? Lou opened his mouth to speak, but realized he was not tired. Though he was at moments exhausted, he always caught his breath. He wanted to sleep because his mind told him he needed to sleep. Why is this happening? You are in the land of youth, Lou, son of Kian. You may sleep here, but it is never necessary. Time passes differently here. You have already noticed that, surely. Look at how much more you can fit into a single day, Anan inside. And now your time here comes to an end, I fear. Tomorrow, I will set you upon Inbar, and you will ride back to your shores. A horse will carry me across water? Inbar is the lord of horses, boy, and do not question it. He runs on mist and water as deftly as on land. I shall arm you and dress you in robes and you will return, for soon your people will need you. The giant stood, placing both hands on Lou's shoulders. Of my many foster children, you have the most potential, Lou, and I have seen that you have learned much. But when under pressure, how a noble soul acts defines their place here in Tirnanog. You will face constant pressure, you will face your fears, and you will know sorrow. How will you respond? I cannot say. But rest. Sleep now the sleep of the living and awaken refreshed as a newborn. And Lou did. In his sleep, he saw two boys, almost exactly like him, but younger, eternally younger, running, laughing, chasing, and with them an impossibly beautiful woman in courtly clothes, regarding them, occasionally yelling at them and chasing them, but only ever in jest. This dream had warmth to it, but when he awakened, that was all it was, a dream. Lou was alone, their faces gone, but not their memory. The next day, Mananen presented him with a banded armor and a tunic that reached past his knees, pulling his hair back into a ponytail he scarcely needed. I look a fool, Lou said, feeling more in a dress than not. No, you look like a boy wearing a man's clothes. But use your sense, boy. Time changes differently here. When you land on your shores, years will have passed. You will gain every second you missed, an age to your proper body. That is why no good comes of the living who come to reside in Tirnanog. They will long for the land of the living, and upon their return often find lifetimes have passed. Suddenly those lifetimes are fatal. With you, only a few days have passed here, which means only a few years. But enough of that. These clothes will fit. I have seen to it. 
He finished braiding Lou's hair, smiling despite himself. Felinus, here, boy. One of the silver hounds of Bananan came forth, sitting beside its master. This is Felinus, who has not yet met a prey he cannot catch. In battle, no blade of bronze or iron can cut his flesh, nor will he tire. As a host beast, it can turn water to wine. Use this wisely. He then produced a blade, drawing it quickly. The blade was nearly white, and upon him, almost to his chest, Lou felt a warmth spreading from it, filling him. If my wife offered you a kiss, would you take it? Lou did not flinch. I would. His cheeks flushed, realizing he had answered foolishly without thinking, too honest for his own good. You never would have told me that of your own free will. I gift you this blade, Lou. Fragarak is called the Answerer. Unbreakable? You will point it to someone, and they must answer you truthfully. He turned the blade skillfully in his hand and offered the hilt to Lou. Use it wisely. Inbar was brought forth, a saddle upon his back. Mananan took the boy and helped him upon the back of the horse before taking a helmet from one of his servants. He placed it upon Lou's head and it almost fell off. Nothing fit in the slightest. A caricature the court of Tirnanog found amusing. Even the sons of Yakid, who had come to see him off. Lou, you ride back to the land of the living. Hold tight to Inbar or you will fall off and never will your soul find peace. When you arrive, you will not be known to any soul there, for you will have aged. This will be your advantage. A terrible blight has fallen upon Ireland. It is your destiny to cut the blight out at the heart and remove the blackness that tarnishes those green hills. Use what you learn here to do so. Do you understand? If you wish, you may stay here. Spend all your days a boy, master of many skills that you are. Yet if you go, you have many gifts now that will help you. Use them wisely. Now which shall you choose? Shall you stay, or shall you go forth? He wanted to. He had never felt so good, and every time he mastered his skill, the faces of those who taught him were always amazed. There was still so much to learn, and so much to master. Yet, he was under the impression that the more he mastered, the more irritating he seemed. The three faces of the sons of Yakid looked down upon him, holding no malice, but pure curiosity in its place. If just to spite them, he must accept. I will go to Ireland. I will lead the children of Danu. I will destroy Balor of the Evil Eye. Mananan slapped him on the back, enough to almost knock him off the horse. Then ride, boy, ride! He slapped Inbar's flank, and the horse took off, practically jumping into the harbor. Instead of sinking, the horse ran off in a gallop, each step taking him higher and higher as Inbar ran on the mist themselves. Soon, Tirnanog was a memory, the silver spires disappearing. Lou held on for dear life, the dancing iron blade and ill-fitting helmet clanking again and again as they charged, ever faster, back to his homeland. Goddessy is written and produced by Greg Wright. Additional writing and editing by Sidney Ager, who is in league with the fairies. S music by Scott Buckley. Additional sounds by Fun With Sounds. If you want to support us, we now have a Patreon. 
check us out there and on social media at The Goddessy Podcast. Links are also in the description. You'll have access to early episodes, Q&As, behind the scenes, and my undying gratitude. I might even foster your children. Goddessy updates weekly. See you next week.